morning, everyone. Open your passage, uh, your Bibles back up if you've got one with you to Acts uh, chapter 9, which uh, was that first passage that Violet uh, read uh, for us. We're going to pick up there um, this evening and hopefully we'll see just how relevant this passage will be as we um, celebrate Easter um, Sunday this evening. There was a uh, BBC Sport article um, this week uh, talking about the Italian city of Naples and particularly the Napoli football team. At this moment, uh, the team find themselves 16 points clear in Serie A, the top league of football um, in Italy, and they are charging towards their first title since 1990. The city, the article says, is buzzing. Here's how the author puts it. It is a city on the brink. You can see it, hear it, feel it. It's in the eyes and the smiles, the playful chatter and the swaggering strides. Hope. Hope like there hasn't been for 23 years. And as I was reading that article, I found myself getting caught up, getting caught up in the excitement Yes, isn't this what we all want and need in life? Joy and hope. And then halfway through the article, I read this quote from Maria, a 23-year-old Napoli fan, pointing back to the last time Napoli won the Serie A title and pointing back in particular to that man in the picture there on the wall, Diego Maradona. He was the main man. The star, back in 1990. Here is what Maria said. She said, Maradona is like God here. He gave people hope. And that quote, obviously, I guess, well, it made me stop. Stop me in my tracks. I thought, Maria feels it too, doesn't she? This is what we need in life. Hope. In amongst the the pressures In amongst the suffering and the pain, the disappointments and the setbacks, we need hope. And I guess in some ways Maradona is the symbol of that hope for the people of Naples as they look to him and remember the glory days. Gives them hope, doesn't it, that that soon that will happen again as maybe will happen this year. But of course it doesn't take long, does it, to realize that hope and joy that the people of Naples are feeling at the moment can, and almost certainly will, disappear again. Probably next season, as they fail to bring home another title. But this is why Easter, and all that we remember at it, proclaims and speaks a better story. A better story of hope to us better story of hope than just the hope and joy that comes from a football team doing well. In some ways, Maria, in that quote, points us to a truth about God, doesn't she? She says, Maradona is like God here. He gave people hope. Now, Maradona is not like God. He is not God. But Maria points us to this truth. God is the one who does give hope. That's the message of Easter, isn't it? that we've already been remembering together this morning and on Good Friday too. God 
gives hope. And as we continue in our series in the book of Acts this evening, in these verses in chapter 9, this hope, I think, rings out so clearly to us. A hope that will never disappoint us. A hope that will never let us down. A hope that sustains and can make all the difference in our lives. And that hope is, of course, found in Christ. So, as we get into our passage this evening, as we come towards the end of our day spent together, remembering the hope that Jesus offers, we're going to see here, I think, two simple but stunning pictures, two ways that Jesus offers hope to all of us here this evening. We're going to see this pictured for us, as I say, in these two miracles that we're presented with. Let's see the first hope, then. The first hope in the first miracle, in verses 32 to 35, the hope that Jesus heals. If you've been with us in the book of Acts, you'll see here that we've switched back to Peter now, after just seeing Saul's conversion and his initial ministry. And in verse 32, if you look with me, we read that Peter is going here and there amongst the Christians who have been scattered. And in verse 32, we read that he comes to the saints in Lydda, which would have been about a day's journey from Jerusalem. And we read in verse 33 that Peter finds in Lydda, most likely amongst the Christians there, this man, Aeneas, who is paralyzed, bedridden now, we read, for eight years. And we see then in this miracle that then happens, I think, as clear a picture of the hope that Jesus can bring to all of us this evening. Just look at what Peter says to Aeneas in this helpless situation state, bedridden and likely unable to do anything for himself. He says, verse 34, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. In just an instant, by the power of Jesus Christ, Aeneas' life is transformed, isn't it? Jesus Christ heals you. And he's completely healed. We've already seen a transformation a bit like this this in Acts chapter 3, haven't we? If you remember back to the healing of the lame beggar, who Peter also commanded in the name of Christ to rise up and walk, and who immediately did that. And of course, what we see here also is really similar to what Jesus did. Jesus did for that paralyzed man, remember, who was lowered through the roof. Peter's words here echo Jesus' words. Jesus said to that paralyzed man, rise, take up your bed and walk. And here, Peter says, rise and make your bed. This is the power that Jesus has always had. And we see that he continues to have now the power to immediately heal, restore, and transform lives. Just a moment ago, who was Aeneas? Well, he was weak. He was bedridden. Who is he now? Standing, made strong, and free to go wherever he pleases. And as I said earlier, this is such a helpful picture for the work of Christ in our lives 
The hope that he offers to all who will come to him. The hope of healing. And a much longer lasting healing than the temporary healing we see pictured here for Aeneas. See, eventually, it's likely Aeneas would again one day find himself bedridden and weak. But in Jesus, we today can find healing that will leave us restored and whole forever. Listen to these words from Isaiah 53, pointing us to the suffering and death of Jesus that we remember at Easter time. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. With his wounds, we are healed. Aeneas's physical healing by the power of Jesus here in, in this chapter in Acts points us to the full spiritual healing and restoration that all of us can find in the work of Jesus. And then ultimately also points us to the physical and spiritual wholeness that we will one day know when Christ returns. Having diagnosed Aeneas's paralysis, and now seeing that paralysis remain for eight years, the prognosis for Aeneas, well, it can't have been good, can it? I'm sorry, Aeneas. This is you now. There's nothing we can do for you. And the reality is that we have all been diagnosed with a sickness a disease much more significant than physical paralysis, as serious as that is. It's the sickness of sin, of rejecting our good God who made us. And just like for Aeneas, the prognosis is not good. As a result of turning our back on God, we find ourselves without hope guilty and facing an eternity now spent apart from the goodness of God. We find ourselves condemned. That is all of our hopeless and helpless states here this evening, apart from the work of Christ. But into that state comes these hope-filled, powerful words from Peter. Verse 34, Jesus Christ heals you. Don't we all need to hear those words addressed to us? And the truth is that we can put our own names into this story, in the place of Aeneas, if we will recognize the state that we find ourselves in apart from Christ. And recognizing that, repent of our sin and ask for forgiveness. And we can do that because of what we remember Jesus did for us that first Easter. The words of Isaiah 53 have already pointed us to this, haven't they? That first Easter, as Jesus died on the cross, he was pierced for our transgressions, for our willful rejection 
of the Lord. As Jesus died on the cross, he was crushed for our iniquities. This is the reality. It was our transgressions, our iniquities that sent Jesus to the cross. He was pierced and crushed on account of our sins. Sins that he willingly took upon himself, even though he knew the cost. What did we read? Upon him is the punishment that brought us peace. On Wednesday evening and on Good Friday, we were reminded that this punishment that Christ took for us was that he drank the cup of God's wrath. He took that on our behalf, a cup of staggering, a cup that if we were to have drunk it would have seen us eternally condemned and left without any hope. But this is why Good Friday is so good. Such good news for those who are trusting in Jesus. Because on the cross, Jesus drank down to the very last dregs that cup of God's wrath. There is nothing left there. Nothing left there for us to drink. Nothing left for us to pay. All of our sins and failings accounted for. Never to be charged against us if we come to Jesus. And here's the hope that springs from that glorious reality. Again, from Isaiah 53. That if that is true for us today, we have peace with God and we have been healed. That means that today we can truly be God's sons and daughters. We can know the wholeness and goodness of living with Jesus as the Lord of our lives, both now and then also for eternity to come. Because of what Jesus did on the cross as he died, that's why we can all today put our names there in place of Aeneas. Aeneas. Jesus Christ heals you. And we can know then that that great sickness of sin and the judgment that comes with it has been dealt with. And we can know that even as we do continue to struggle with sin, as we were thinking about this morning, because of what Jesus has done for us, even that ongoing sin has been paid for, nailed to the cross. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have peace with God. We have been healed. This is the hope of the gospel. The hope that Jesus offers to all of us this evening. Aeneas seemingly had already found this hope in his life as one who had come to Christ even before Peter came to him here. And here we see in Aeneas' physical healing and restoration a picture of that greater healing and restoration that Aeneas had already found. And a picture that is offered to all of us. All who will turn to the Lord. Look at verse 35. That's what we read, don't we? That the residents of Lydda and the region of Sharon do. Seeing what has just happened, this life-changing miracle, they turn to the Lord. And doing that, what hope they found. I imagine the scene, if you picture back with me, in Lydda. Well, it might have resembled the one in Naples at the moment, right? Right? but with even more reason. 
How did the author put it? You can see it, hear it, feel it. It's in the eyes and the smiles, the playful chatter. Why? Not because a football team is winning, but because Jesus has healed them. That's the hope of the gospel. Lives transformed, healed, restored. That's real reason for hope. But that's not all that we see this evening in this section of Acts. Because if you look with me now onto the next miracle that we see, we see a second way presented to us that also offers us hope. And this second hope is that Jesus will raise us up. We see this, as I said, in this second miracle from verses 36 to 42, the raising of Tabitha, or Dorcas, to use her Greek name. Look with me at the details here, and we'll run through it. In verse 36, we're introduced to Tabitha, who we're told lived in Joppa, and we read that she was a disciple. And then we read these words, she was full of good works and acts of charity. As an aside, what an incredible Eight-word summary of Tabitha's life, full of good works and acts of charity. I wonder what eight words others would use to summarize your life. But moving on in verse 27, we see, don't we, that her good works, sadly, they don't prevent her from getting sick and dying. That's what faces all of us, isn't it? No matter that eight-word summary that someone might use about us. And we read then that after being washed, she's laid in an upper room. Now, at this point, we see something fascinating. We see that the disciples in Joppa, they hear that Peter is nearby in Lydda. And so they send two men to him to tell him to come without delay. Now, we don't read here why they do this, but it seems they must have. They must have had some kind of hope that Peter could do something amazing here. Otherwise, why would they bother doing this? It seems these disciples in Joppa realized something so important, that just as we've seen just now, there is someone who is more powerful than illness, disease, or sickness. So there is also someone who is even more powerful than death, who can overcome that. And we read in verse 39 that Peter comes when he's summoned, and when he arrives, he's brought to the upper room, where he'd, he's faced with the usual mourning and weeping you would expect in this kind of circumstance. Death is painful. It's sad. And the scene here reflects that, doesn't it? The widow's weeping. And then also, as we often do at this kind of time, they're remembering Tabitha's life. In particular here, her kindness and skill as they held out the tunics and other garments that Tabitha had made for them while she was still alive. And how does Peter respond to this scene? Well, in verse 40, first, he puts everyone outside. And I think this is meant to make us think of Jesus, Jesus, who himself did something similar when raising up Jairus' daughter, if you remember. Again, what Peter is doing here reflects Jesus' actions. 
Because again, Jesus is at the heart of what's about to happen. Look at what Peter does next. He kneels down and prays. Unlike Jesus, you see, Peter realizes that in himself he has no power whatsoever in this circumstance. No power when it comes to sickness and death. But in prayer, he looks to the one who does. And he humbly asks for him to be at work. And then incredibly, trusting in that power of Christ, We then read in the second half of verse 40 that Peter turned to the body and said, Tabitha, arise. And that's exactly what she does. She opens her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. These are pretty ordinary details here, if you notice with me. Tabitha's response to Peter's words. And and almost these ordinary details underline more clearly the power of this incredible, incredible miracle. Tabitha, Dorcas, he's been dead. We read there of the body. This is literally a corpse here. And yet here, being called out of death by the power of Christ, Tabitha opens her eyes and sits up, just as if she's been having a little afternoon nap. This is the power of Jesus. And that's again why we can speak of incredible hope that we can find in him this evening. As we've already said, Jesus had already shown this power over death while he was on earth, hadn't he? In the raising of Lazarus and the raising of Jairus' daughter. Do you remember what he said to her? Talitha kum. And here we see the same truth. As Peter, possibly speaking in Aramaic, says this, Tabitha kum. Tabitha, arise. And she does. This is the power Jesus has always had. And now we see continues to have the power to raise to life, the power to defeat even death. Now, how do we know this raising isn't just based on Peter's say-so? Remember, he sent everyone out of the room. How do we know he hasn't just moved the body? Well, because we read in verse 41 that after giving her his hand and raising her up, he called the saints and widows and presented Tabitha alive to them. And we can only imagine the scene, can't we? Tunics that were being held thrown now into the air. Screams of delight, bear hugs that almost took the breath right back out of Tabitha. She's alive. Here she is before our very eyes. And we can see from verse 42 that it didn't take long for those who were there in that room to then get out and share this news with the world. Look, we read in verse 42 that this became known throughout all Joppa and many believed in the Lord. Now we've already said, haven't we, that this raising points us back to Jesus, to Jesus raising people from the dead during his time on earth. But this raising also points us back to another rising, another rising from the dead too, the rising that we remember, of course, today on Easter Sunday. Right back at the start of Acts 
we read in chapter 1, verse 3, these words. Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. That sounds a lot like our passage tonight, doesn't it? Do you remember the words there? Peter presented her alive. See, just as people were there to witness and testify to the raising of Tabitha, so the apostles and many, many others were there to witness and testify to the most incredible rising from the dead of all time. The rising of Jesus from the dead. See, this rising was not just the most incredible of all time because it testified and confirmed Jesus' claim to be the Son of God. It did that. But this rising was not just the most incredible because Jesus would also never die again, unlike any of the others who were raised, even though that's true as well. See, this rising was the most incredible of all time because it also speaks hope and peace and joy to so many others. Even to all of us here this evening. That because Jesus rose, we will also one day rise. There is hope. That just as death now wasn't the end for Jesus, so it won't be the end for us either. See, Tabitha's raising here in Acts chapter 9 as she is called out of death as breath comes back into her lungs and her body rises. It points us to an incredible future hope that all of us have in Jesus. That we will not be left in the grave, but that we will rise too. This is what we read about in 1 Corinthians 15 earlier in that other passage. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. As we read, Christ is the first fruits. He is risen and is right now reigning at the Father's right hand. Well, so at his second coming, all who belong to Christ will be bodily raised to be with him forever. Over this Easter period, I've been listening a lot to an album by, about the resurrection by the songwriter and author Andrew Peterson. And I just love the words he uses in his song he calls His Heart Beats. They point us to this hope, picking up on 1 Corinthians 15. Here are just some of the words. He rises, glorified in flesh. Clothed in immortality, the firstborn from the dead. He rises, and his work's already done. So he's resting as he rises to proclaim the bride he's won. And his heart beats. He took one breath, and he put death to death. Where is your sting, O grave? How grave is your defeat? I know. I know his heart beats. What difference does Jesus make for those trusting in him? The world of difference. For those now believing in the Lord here in Joppa, their eternity has changed. What hope does Jesus offer to those who will come to him? The greatest of hopes. That for us, just like 
for him, death will not be the end. Our heart will beat again. That's what we've been rejoicing in throughout today, isn't it? And it's something worth rejoicing in. Jesus gives us hope. That last enemy to be destroyed is death. It's been particularly poignant, if that's the right word, in the lead up to Easter that this past week here at Great Vic, we've had the burial and Thanksgiving service of two regulars here at the church, Helen McCrory and Betty Sterrett, who I believe was a member here for 77 years. See, nowhere, I think, does the hope of the gospel, the hope found in Christ, ring out any louder than around the grave of someone who we know who has passed away. As we remembered for both Helen and for Betty, although their bodies were laid to rest in the ground, this was not the end for them. Because they were now absent from the body and present with their Lord and Savior. And we remembered together around the grave that when Jesus returns, both Helen and Betty will be raised again bodily to enjoy a new life in the new heavens and new earth forever. Isn't that the greatest hope that any of us could ever have? See, ultimately, death is facing us all. Whether that comes to us in the near or more distant future, that's what awaits us. As the American statesman Benjamin Franklin once famously said, in the world, nothing can said to be said to be certain except death and taxes. And that remains true for us. And yet Jesus changes that, doesn't he? At least he changes death from being the ultimate enemy. The thing for us to fear. He changes it to be the thing that will actually only serve as a doorway into eternal life to come. Life spent in the presence of our God with no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain. What a future that is. And that's the hope of the gospel, isn't it? That's the hope found in Jesus Christ. And we see that hope pictured for us in this raising of Tabitha. Just as Jesus had the power to call her from death through Peter, so Jesus also has the power to do the same for every one of us here this evening, if we are trusting in him. Because if we are trusting in him, our sin no longer condemns us. Just as there was nothing that could hold Jesus in the grave, there is nothing that can hold us. As we were thinking about this morning, we are now united to Christ. Christ, the first fruits. And at his coming, those who belong to him will rise. Tabitha, arise. Betty, arise. Helen, arise. And you can put your name there too. You really can this evening put your name there too. See, that's what the wider section of the book of Acts shows us, doesn't it? We heard Saul last week being called to carry the name of Jesus to the Gentiles. And here we've seen Peter as he moves out from Lydda 
now into Joppa. You see, Jesus is going, sorry, Peter is going further and further out. See, Joppa would have been a city with many Gentiles. And this is just the beginning. We're going to see in Acts chapter 10 how the gospel and the hope of Christ, it is opened up to all, to all who will come. The gospel is going out. See, the hope of Christ that we find here this evening, that we've been speaking about, is on offer to every one of us. No matter our background, no matter our heritage, no matter our culture or anything else, That is why today we are not alone here in Belfast. Just as Steve was speaking and praying about earlier, we are not alone here in Belfast in remembering and rejoicing in this saving work of Christ. People in Dublin, people in London, people in Paris, in Athens, in Cairo, in Pretoria, in Islamabad, in Tokyo, in Canberra, in Lima, in Mexico City, in Washington, in cities and areas all around the world, people are all doing the same thing, remembering and rejoicing in this greatest of hopes, the hope of Christ and his resurrection. And that is a hope that is on offer to everyone right across our world who will come to Jesus. Maria from Naples, as I said at the beginning, said this, didn't she? Maradona is like God here. He gave people hope. What hope, though, really? Here's a statement we can actually come to and rejoice in. What we've seen here, as this first Easter proves and proclaims, is that Jesus is God. And it's he who truly gives us hope. Hope that will last far longer than one football season. Hope that will lift us from despair. Hope that will never disappoint or let us down. Hope that sustains. Hope that upholds. Hope that sings out what we've been seeing this evening. I am healed. I am forgiven. I am a child of God. And death will not be the end for me. Jesus will raise me up. Let's remember and continue to rejoice in that hope as we go on from here this week. There is no greater hope out there. And let's just continue to give thanks to God in our hearts for all that he has done for us. And as we finish, let me also just say that if This is a hope that you haven't come to know for yourself yet. If you haven't yet come to the Lord Jesus, we truly believe what we say here at Great Vic. There is no greater hope than this. Just encourage you, come to the Lord Jesus. Know the healing that you can find in him and know that hope that one day you will rise again. And if you're sitting there and maybe you're just beginning to think this all through for yourself, could this hope really be real? It it almost sounds too good to be true, doesn't it? Could this be mine? Well, let me just say that we are, as we've been mentioning here recently, putting this course on called Hope Explored at the end of May and the beginning of June over the course of three Tuesday evenings. That's just going to be a chance in an informal way to explore lots of what we've been thinking about here this evening in a bit more detail. I really encourage you, if that's you, if you're thinking about this, come along to that. And then I'd really encourage all of us 
here this evening, given what we've been thinking about, given that hope, to just begin to think, who is somebody who I can get speaking to? A friend or a family member who might be interested maybe in coming along to this. Get thinking about those people and getting inviting them. We've got some of these flyers available at the back if that would be helpful um, just to give out to people. Why are we doing that? Why are we putting this course on? Because we have a hope. The greatest of hopes in the Lord Jesus Christ. Death has lost its sting. We can rejoice in that, can't we? And then let's look to go and share that hope with the world. Let's pray as we finish. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the hope found in Christ. We thank you so much for how that hope has been pictured for us here in this passage. We thank you for the healing that we find in Christ. We thank you for his work on the cross, for the forgiveness that we find there, that no more sin is counted against us if we are in Christ because he has drunk that cup of your wrath. And Lord, we thank you for this hope then because we have no more sin to pay. There is nothing that can hold us in the grave that just as Christ rose, we also will rise. Lord, we thank you for that greatest of hopes. We thank you for the opportunity again today just to remember that hope. Help us to rejoice in it, to find the peace and rest that is found in it. And Lord, please would you help us then to go out and be bold in sharing this hope, this eternity-changing hope with those around us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we close, uh, it's only right, isn't it, that we give all the glory to our Lord and Savior. We're going to sing, Thine be the glory. Let's stand as the musicians begin to play.
Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.